welcome to the Delingpod with me, James Delingpod. And I know I always say I'm excited about this week's special guest, but I really am looking forward to talking to Francis O'Neill. Francis, I met you at Abby Roberts's birthday party. And I thought, here's a character I'd like to have on my podcast. Um, I got the I got the feeling from you that you're one of the I don't know what you call this 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 thing we're part of whether it's the truth movement or whether we're the awake or, or whatever but there really aren't many people I trust um, which we I think we can we can talk about a bit a bit but you struck me as a man of absolute integrity and if someone were to tell me that you were actually a secret agent of the Illuminati. I would be both surprised and disappointed, um, disappointed with my with my poor judgment, because it seems to me that you're you're on the money. Just so just tell me a bit about yourself before we go on. Well, I'm a self-employed artist and uh, I, and I guess in, in this context, I was living in Oxford and um, working, just getting on with life. But I was also aware that 9-11 had been an inside job or, or at least the official story was false from what we were told. So when in March 2020, um, we were launched into lockdown. I, I sort of saw it come in a little bit when Italy locked down and I thought it's going to come here. And I was aware that people had been speculating about something similar coming for a while. And I recognized what was going on. And, and so quite quickly, I was um, out on the streets doing outreach. And I suppose that's how I've come to say the attention of, of maybe yourself and other people is, is by doing outreach on the streets. And uh, so for about 18 months, we were out every um Every weekend in Oxford, outside the main shopping centre in the in the centre there, the Westgate, and uh, just trying to wake people up. And initially, we had, you know received lots of hostility, but as time went on, um, uh, I had to leave Oxford because I lost my job because of not complying with the the measures. And and uh, then I've ended up in London, and I've been with the Yellow Boards, doing Yellow Boards on the streets here for a, a couple of years. So, so that's basically a quick synopsis of of how I come to be here. Right. When you say you're, you're you're an artist, what what do you do? What's what's called fine art? I mean, you're a painter, or yeah, what? yeah. So I'm a painter. I do. I was doing um and kind of in the traditional uh, methods, so like uh, oil painting, drawing and painting. I was teaching life drawing. So uh, over time, I'd built up a studio, and I was renting a space as part of a collective who rented the building. So a collective of artists in Oxford and. Um, so I was teaching mainly from my space there. I was getting odds and ends at maybe the university or bits of art uh, centers around the place, which I'd picked up over the years. But I was mainly working for myself, teaching life drawing and portrait painting um, in the evenings or in the mornings here and there, as well as doing my own work. Um, and that's what I was working as up until and, and up until 2020 and things went a bit haywire. And did you go to art school? Yeah, I went to Edinburgh College of Art. Yeah, um, although I, I didn't feel like that, you know, the tuition was particularly uh, great there in some ways. I, I felt like I learned more. I went to my local foundation course as a bridge, you know, from uh, A levels to university, and and I just happened to get a good teacher who was um, really really traditional, and 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 I was just went in the life room, all, and he taught me drawing, and taught me the mixing of paint, and so on, so that kind of thing. So yeah, um, I think I think in some ways. Th- some of the university courses are like money for old rope and uh, not maybe not just with art as well. Like I think it's part of the, you know, the overall right, sort of dumbing down of standards or whatever, but yeah, that's, that's what I did. Yeah. Well, that, you, you don't surprise me with the answer you gave me. I imagine that what you describe is, is, is normal throughout the art 
academic establishment that 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 the impression I get is that it's a long time since you went to art college to learn skills like life drawing. I think it. I think it used to be. It, well, maybe it's apocryphal. I think it used to be the case that um, in order to in order to was it to be a member of the Royal Academy or something, you used to have to be able to draw a, a perfect sphere. Um, but <laughs> I don't think that mixing paint and stuff like it's more about deconstructing art, isn't it? It's a bit like. It's a bit like literature went through the phase of, of postmodernism, where it was about deconstructing traditional forms and, 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 and telling everybody, this is, this is your new world. This is what you must appreciate now. <laughs> Never mind that old stuff. Never mind the stuff you enjoyed. We're, we've got these new rules that we want to impose on you. And I'm sure art is no exception. In fact, in fact it's probably the, about the worst exponent of it. Well, yeah, I mean, we know uh, anyway, don't we? Like, um, do we know there's basically what I would call CIA art, which is like Jackson Pollock and, and that ilk where they brought in all yeah. this, 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 the demolition of the culture. And I, I, having gone to Edinburgh, I was aware sort of anecdotally of them throwing out the, they had a lot of marble, um, uh, casts of some of the sculptures. Now, whilst they did still have some, I heard of some of those things, maybe not necessarily Edinburgh, but some of the colleges just binned them because they, they, they wanted to make a clean break with the culture of the old, academia where people used to have to do like however many hours of drawing from a, a sculpture before you progress to the life model and before that you would do drawing like simple forms like cylinders and squares or cubes sorry and then um, so i was aware that there had been that break um even way back i was i was at edinburgh say 97 to 2000 so um and, and there was other little stories you know like uh, things like sean connery apparently was a life model there and he had a drawing of him up in the attic still and some people i wasn't i, I didn't uh, get to see it but some people i was studied with saw it so there was a, that that place still had some of the traditional forms in the sense or traditional um, timetables. So there's still life drawing going on and things like that. But it was clear, even even in the very when I arrived, they had all the tutors and they just gave them redundancy. And I think that was just to get them off the wage bill. And then we had lots of younger tutors and the, the teaching wasn't really there. And, and, and I wasn't really aware of what was happening, but I felt myself always fighting against the tide even then because anything went except traditional work and i think that kind of is true now like anything goes except you know the traditions of you know as you might say christianity or or uh you can say anything you can do anything you want except be you know traditionally british i guess in some ways or 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 uh adhere to the traditions that that sort of built the country over the past millennia or two well, I, I, I think it's, 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 it's part of our experience at, at living in the, the, the dog end of, 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 of Western civilization. I mean, had you had a, had you had a traditional, a traditional, um, art education, you'd have been taught art history and you'd have been taught about Giotto and, and Bellini and, 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 and so on. And you would have understood a perspective and things like that. But, you're right that the, the, since the what early twentieth century, it has been about rejecting it, rejecting beauty apart from anything else. I think that's absolutely Reject, right. Rejecting beauty and also rejecting craft. Yeah, both of those things. Yeah, and I think I, that I I didn't I was experiencing it as an individual out of context, and I didn't really understand what I was experiencing and what the pushback I was getting from tutors and things like this and the the animosity almost. But I've heard that David Hockney say things like like that, and I'm not a great fan of his work necessarily either. But and uh, 
you could make a case that some of the for some of his work being celebrated, even though it, it's not, not merited. But um, he says about things being uh, it's almost like offensive to the art critic to, to make something that is just pretty. That's pretty for being pretty for its yeah. own sake, you know. And um, so, yeah, there's definitely that going on. It's almost, and, and you can see it in the architecture and, and uh, the, you know, we have this brutalist architecture. And, and people obviously post these memes that they say like uh, relate to um, the old the old world. And they'll show you a building that's been a railway station or a museum and how it's been knocked down and replaced with something desperately ugly. And, and I think objectively desperately ugly, like a box, you know, like a concrete box. And uh, instead of a, an ornate building that, that served the purpose and was beautiful, then, yeah, th this process has definitely been going on. And it's hard not to believe that it's deliberate when you see the world in the kind of perspective that we might do now. Oh, it's got to be deliberate. And, and, and it's extraordinary what they get away with. I mean, you know, you mentioned brutalism. How, how that ever could have been a a thing where we were encouraged to revere buildings made out of raw concrete, like the national, the national theater complex on the South bank. I mean, it's, it's just, it's just hideous and it's depressing. And it's like being in, it's what well, it's like being in sort of communist, communist Europe, isn't it? Be like being behind the iron curtain. And yet we're, we're, we're told, no, this is worth preserving. This is part of, this is part of our heritage. Yeah, I mean, that that, that whole, uh, I think you can see it. Like I, I, I was out with the yellow boards on Saturday and we did a walk along the, the South Bank, along the embankment. And um, we ended up on London Bridge and I was just looking at the horizon and you could see some of the old older buildings and, and it, London Bridge, uh, um, Tower Bridge itself, Tower Bridge. With, and it's ornate and you've got certain buildings popping up on the skyline that are ornate. And it's almost like they are being phased out by this kind of much more... Now, it's not just about being kind of um, romanticizing the past. You can see it with your own eyes. Some of these buildings are almost there. Uh, whilst some of them are in, the, say, the city of London, they're, they're glass fronted and, and they're kind of you know, they're reasonable. They're not too ugly. But you can see that there's a, a real change occurring where the new world is, 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 is eradicating the old. And, and eventually, perhaps some of these more ornate buildings will, will be lost as well as others have gone before them. And you can you almost see that on the skyline. You can almost see it happening. Um, this and, and there's, that building as well yeah. in Old Street. That I, I noticed uh, when again when I was out with the yellow boards, someone a lady was saying that she found it very disconcerting. It's it's almost like a perspective trick, and it's it's just a it's it looks like it's sinking almost or you can't tell which side is going whether it's like one of those optical tricks where you, you can't tell whether the cube is the corner of the cube is coming towards you or going away from you it's been designed deliberately like that to be disconcerting and and i think also that is possibly part of a whole uh, way of making the whole city experience a kind of an assault on the senses so we've now got these led lights on all the cars which are harsher on your eyes and then if you also make the build and now at the moment in old street it's only one building right so so i'm, I'm not saying but if you, you know, use a little bit of imagination and see where it might go, if, if lots of buildings are built that have a similar theme, you're going to have this whole disconcerting inhuman experience where nothing quite adds up to your eyes and you've got the, the flashes of LEDs and and it does always, always the, already the kind of noise of the streets. Um, so, yeah, the, I, wonder what, I wonder how dystopian it's going to get sometimes. Have you Have you read... C.S. Lewis's That Hideous Strength. No, I haven't. No. There's a, there's a scene in there which actually encapsulates what you've just described. That there's this, the, the, the sort of the hero, 
um, of the book, or the, the main protagonist at any rate, is this academic who wants to get on. He wants to join what is known as the inner circle. And the inner circle is basically satanic, luciferian, and which is which most of the academics at the university subscribe to this, certainly at the senior level. And as part of his kind of initiation into the world of, of, of the, the upper tier, the, the inner circle, he has to spend time in this room where everything is off. There is no, there is no symmetry. It's designed to, to sort of disconcert and, and to reject, well, to reject the sort of the golden mean, the, 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 the classical, uh, the symmetry of, of architecture, which we, we, we know that in the past that um, buildings were, were made to please the eye. Um, there was there was sort of proportions that that were, were deemed to be attractive, and C.S. Lewis envisions this 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 process where you have to get used to this weird, horrible, disconcerting stuff and accept it, and even even appreciate it. And I think this is what's been going. You, I mean, you mentioned on Passel that the 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 lights the lights that cars now have which make the experience of driving at night really unpleasant. I mean, it's, it, it's really jarring and difficult. My, you know, my, my elderly father really can't drive at night anymore. He just, he just can't bear it. And I think, I, I'm sure that's the experience of a lot of older people. I mean, you know, even, even slightly younger people like me, it's, it's, it's grim. And you could also um, cite the light bulbs that we now have to use. They don't give that sort of warm glow that, that the old old light light bulbs used 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 to give that that the, it's a cold light an unpleasant unpleasant light same with street lighting it's 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 uglier it's it's sort of lurid and i'm sure that that this is not accidental well it's certainly not like the warm fireside glow you see in your christmas card is it like it's not got that kind of flavor it's not an earthy kind of snuggle up on your with your blanket over your knees on your rocking chair kind of feel so it has it it's 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 mechanical and it's i think it's just distancing us from the natural world all the time i think probably our, our yeah. biological clocks are out of rhythm and they're probably more so out of rhythm because we're looking at the screen light on our phones and like i saw something funny the other day somebody put a little meme up about uh, i can't sleep so um i think i'll just look at all the information that's ever been published in the world ever like 15 minutes from my face with a bright light behind it like um and that'll help me go to bed it's got to go to sleep quicker um but but so that kind of idea i think we're always being dislocated and i think i think there's a there's I've seen other things go around and it's always hard to know what's true because we're questioning the, you know, the, the official uh, output all the time. So then we've got to rely on, on unofficial sources, which maybe c can be fallible, but people are saying that it's, it's not particularly good for your eyesight either. So if we spend like in the winter months, if we're spending quite a, if we're going to bed at like 10, 11, 12 o'clock and you, you're in that electric light for six hours or more, um, I don't know how healthy that is for us, for our rhythms and for our eyesight and things like that. But it's certainly something to consider, you know. Um, I, I just, uh, yeah, I, I'm, and a lot of this, I don't think some people might listen to me saying things like that and think that it's being retrograde or an enemy of progress or in some way, um, you know, like again, like romanticizing things or, or just being um, not, not, not going, not, not, not progressive, not going with things. But and, and you've got to. And, but I do think there's a danger to some of these things. I think we are of the earth and we've got uh, of the world and we've got to sort of recognize that. And, and, and the more we dislocate ourselves from it, the more trouble we get into, which is kind of what we've seen over the past three or four years. 
Mm. Just, uh, I, I wanted to pick you up on what you were saying about about um, how sometimes it's hard to trust the alternative information sources. But but I, I'm just curious about the, the the yellow board experience because I, I I look at you yellow borders and I think yeah, well done guys, you're 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 fighting the fight. Do do you, are you making an impact? Do you think? Well, I can tell you one way because um, it's so demonstrable to me. So when we um, when we when I started out on the street in Oxford, uh, there was real hostility, and and because Oxford's that centre of academia, and you get institutions like the Jenner Institute, and you could, you'd actually get some of the scientists working on the projects coming past, saying, "Oh, you lot are killing people, are you?" And so we'd get that real hostility, and oh really, and even with the oh yeah yeah, I used to have I I had the I I've did got you, really did funny you, did you one have rats or, or oh yeah. So like uh, we were outside, you know Oxford, right? So um, for people who don't know, there's there's a yeah. new shopping centre and there's a square in front of it called Bond Square and the shopping centre is the Westgate Centre. And we used to set up a gazebo there and clip information boards to the gazebo and we'd give flyers out or engage the public and tell them why we were out there and what we thought. And we warned them about the vaccine and we warned them about the lockdowns. And this was from April 2020 onwards. And we had megaphones and stuff. And so sometimes I'd be cheeky on the megaphone saying like, yeah, that floral mask is really going to help you in your anthrax lab, isn't it? Or whatever. Um, so there was this this kind of um, uh, interaction with the public and they would come up to us. And so sometimes I remember quite early on. Right. So so I remember also uh, let me context this. So um, if if in March 2020, I was a 9-11 truth advocate. I'd been online. I'd, I'd been out once to because my brother lived in New York. So I coincided it with I went to Ground Zero and did some flyering out there on the anniversary of 9-11, things like this. Um, so I had been I was aware of things going on. And then this happened. I thought, oh, no, all that knowledge is kind of useless because no one cares about 9-11 anymore. We've got to, like, brush up. And people were saying to you, you're not an epidemiologist. So, like, how am I going to become an epidemiologist in, like, two and a half weeks or whatever to stop this lockdown by the end of the third week? Right. And so so we were going out in the street. And so you, you, you're doing all your, you know, you're you, you, researching, you're doing your best. And every day you're on the hand trying to figure out what the hell's going on. And you get out of there. And then somebody who says... I'm a microbiologist and you're full of rubbish and you know, da, 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 da. And so he's coming at me angry, two of them with masks on. And, um, uh, and I, I, I had been studying. So, and I knew what I knew, but I obviously knew I didn't know everything. So I was like a little bit on shaky ground. I'm thinking, well, I'll just stick to what I know and not say anything crazy. So I was saying, well, the NHS figures show that this many people have, uh, have died and that's nothing. Or like, and, and this was probably, I, I guess it, I must have, as I'm thinking about it, it must have been a couple of months in. I don't know how long. In, and I was saying, like, there's only, like, you know, 50 people under, or, or a handful of people under 65 have died. And, and then, how do you know that? Da, da, da. And I said, well, I've looked at the NHS figures. And like, you have. And they couldn't believe that some squirt like me had managed to get on the internet and look up the NHS figures, and they hadn't. And then they were carrying on, and they just were really angry and really kind of, um, you know, visceral criticism and stuff. And and I, uh, and I said, so in the end, I gave up on them. And I said, and, I, and these microbiologists with their silly baggy masks on, and I, and I just said to them, like, you think those things are going to protect you? Would you wear them on a lab? Is that the protection you wear in a lab when you're dealing with something dangerous? That that thing, that baggy thing. Um, and uh, like you, and and you could see the faces, the eyes changed behind it because these people were so indoctrinated, they weren't even aware of what they were they were espousing. You know, this thing that they pulled out of their pocket or hung off their rearview mirror. There was loads of interactions like that. And there was other times when we'd be arguing with one guy who thought he was a big cheese from, um, you know, from university or whatever. And then another woman had come up and she was a bigger cheese from a university and was completely in agreement with us. And there was things like really, and she was just pushing a buggy with it, like, like, like really? a little mum with, with a big, with a baby in it and stuff. And she was high, more highly qualified than him. And suddenly he was like taken aback. And so there was loads of, 
like we had people like Peter Hitchens coming up to us and we had a Freemason coming up to us trying to enlist us. We had all kinds of crazy things happen at that place. Every week there was something else crazy going on. It was like we were being targeted. What, what was the, uh, I don't know if we were. What, what was the Freemasons pitch? So this guy Freemason, he was, he was only like, he was only a little guy, right? He looked like he was out of a Poirot film or something. He had like a little mustache and he was a little kind of sort of like, you know, like if you, if you'd met him, you know, um, with a pan, you were wearing your Panama hat in a movie in Egypt or somewhere or Palestine in 1900s, you wouldn't have been surprised. He had like, he was really well dapper presented, had red trousers, a little mustache and he was like a boss man, even though he was, he was quite small, like really had a boss atmosphere about him, like he was the kingpin. And he, and he was like, uh, you probably think I'm terrible because I'm, I'm a Freemason. But he said, um, it's not really like that. He said, it's a lot of what you're saying is true. And, and so on. He says, and if you want to speak to me, and we had a long conversation with him. And he said at the end of it, if you want to come and speak to me more, he said, you know, you can contact my secretary and I'll, I'll give you more information. I can't do it in the street. My wife wants to go now and so on. But, um, like basically I could have gone and met with him, but it kind of freaked out a couple of people that we were with because there was a group of us doing uh, this outreach because they thought that, you know, it was, um, you know, dark and sinister and maybe a bit evil that the, the Freemason. I was quite interested to speak to him, but I didn't go anyway. I just, I just thought I'd leave it. No. Well, I mean, what harm could he have done? It, 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 I mean, he's, I he's human. <laughs> I don't, I think, I think they just thought it was an attempt at infiltration and maybe they had some kind of uh, ideas that, that we were being like, I don't know. They, they talked, I don't share that, that, that view necessarily, but they thought maybe it was some kind of attack in spiritual ways and just to leave it alone. So I just, I wasn't that bothered. He, 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 oh, he, he didn't tell us that much that we didn't know when he was there. So I'm intrigued by the woman that you mentioned, the one who was senior to the, to the scientists, because that, that would have been quite a, a bold move of hers to take your side in a, in a climate like Oxford, which is very much establishment. Well, I, I really wish I was um, uh, quicker on that because we were having so many conversations and I should have invested in one of those hidden cameras or some kind of, I had so it had it rolling all the time mm. because it was really just classic and and, um, and he was he was going to, he was really aggressive with her and saying, so, so where did you study and where is this? And she could answer them. And every time she answered them, it was like, she's one up on you here. She, she's she's better qualified. She's gone to the right institute, like in Switzerland or somewhere or Germany. She studied here, there and everywhere. And she's qualified in this field. And she and she dealt with the PCR test and she knew exactly how the PCR test worked and how it was fake. And, and you couldn't have it at these, you couldn't run the PCR test at 45, uh, a threshold of 45. Oh. And so it, it couldn't possibly be giving you good results. And this guy was then hearing all the things we'd been saying. Because what was really funny was you'd go out there and you'd speak to these people and they they would trust the PCR test and you'd say, well, you know, Carrie Mullis says it's a load of old nonsense. Oh, yeah, well, he's an idiot. And I was like, well, he invented it. And they, they trusted the guy's test, but they wouldn't trust the guy himself. You know, they would dis be dismissive of anyone. Carl Hennigan, who's a professor at your university, he's saying this and this. And they're like, oh, he's just an idiot. So anybody who disagreed just got, like, dismissed. It was very interesting to how they deferred to authority unless it, you know, transgressed and went off the reservation. And so people started coming round to you when? Or was it just a gradual process? Oh, yeah, I didn't answer your question properly. Yeah, so this is what used to happen in Oxford in 2020. And also the Yellow Boards used to get like some hostility in, 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 in London. But when we went to the COVID inquiry a couple of times, and one of the occasions was when Abby Roberts was arrested, then mm. the pass we put the Yellow Boards and we put banners on the crossroads, which are on uh, uh, w the inquiries actually in a building right on the corner of a crossroads 
and all you got was car horns the whole time. So that was the, uh, that was last year, 2023, mid 2023. So the change, as far as I could see, was like it was, and people were not just beeping the horns; they were winding down the windows and, and sharing their experiences and saying. You know, I've had boils all down my back since I got AstraZeneca or I've not, I've got a mate at work. He's not been able to use his right arm since then. People pulled up and said, my wife's in the car. She's sick. She's been sick. We've just been to the hospital. Have you got any advice for us before we can maybe try to detox them? Uh-huh. We were giving them like flyers to the World Council of Health or whatever we could think of. There was, it was, but it was so, it was so one sided that I that the vaccines have to have had an effect on waking people up and that was just I know it's only one little small area of London and people are just passing but it, it was I thought it was instructive in some way given the contrast with what had preceded it a couple of years earlier it's really good to hear that these bulletins from the front line because I think most of us even even people like me who are sort of committed to the cause are not are not really aware of 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 what the mood is out there it's, it's hard to gauge isn't it yeah it's very hard because to gauge and i think I, it all... I... Come on. sorry yeah i was going to say it's very hard to gauge because you're not supposed to be able to gauge it so the idea is that the media isolates you and atomizes us and puts us in front of our phones and our computers and you're not supposed to know they're, they're trying to hide all this from you they're trying to hide the fact that so if you if you have someone in your family who's had an adverse reaction you think oh well we're one of the unlucky ones i suppose it was for the greater good and but if you know that everybody everybody's family has got one then and also if, if you have not actually made the connection that your that you, your relative who got cancer and died within six weeks could have been, that could have been caused by the injection then you just disregard it and put it to one size but if you know that it's happening everywhere so they don't they don't want you to know that and it's also something that i learned from the 9-11 truth movement is that they used to do surveys and put it in one of the major papers whether it's a washington post or the new york times i can't quite remember which one it was in america and say like um uh, gave them three options something like do you think do you believe the official story do you have doubts about it or do you think it was it was nonsense and as the percentage grew towards the the idea that the official story wasn't true, they dropped those surveys. They did like one every year for a few years. And so it, it lets you know that they just don't want the truth to be known by a wider audience. And so the, the less people who know what's going on, the better. And that's why there's a complete blanket of silence over it. When you were doing your your thing um, in, in the wreckage of the, where, the, the, where the Twin Towers were, in New York, what what was the was there a different vibe from from doing it in London, or what sort of response did you get? So I'd been online a lot, and I'd I'd made my um, role to be like I could read the the papers or the uh, evidence. I would go through it, and then I would try and take kernels of truth out and make memes about it just because people can't avoid a meme. Initially, I started like putting you know posts on Facebook and things like this, and people would get antagonized by them or ignore them. And, and so I started making memes and trying to bring humor to how ridiculous some of the situation was and to draw attention. Because obviously when you see a meme, it's kind of unavoidable. You've seen it before you've registered what's happening if you were using social media. So then one year I went out, um, I think it was 2018 or 2017, something like this. I went to New York uh, for an anniversary and of 9-11 and I went to Ground Zero for the day and I met some people that I'd only previously spoken to online and 
we were out giving flyers and some of the guys there, because you're not allowed to amplify your voice there. So they would have to shout. They couldn't use a megaphone like we could. And I'm not really like a, a into shouting all day, but some of these guys had good voices for it. And they were like booming out and they would get some hostility and people like would come up to them. And there was there was people, because it was the anniversary of 9-11, there was people coming for ser- memorial services at Ground Zero and they were firefighters and policemen in their really, you know, and also I don't know the the rules of engagement in America. It's a slightly different cu- mm. culture. So like in, in, in England, you can gauge things. You can have why you can push a policeman or a fireman and you don't quite know how it works out there so these guys and they were all suited and booted and and um i said to one of the firemen i said something i said something to him like you know i can't remember what the words but he said he said not today mate not today <laughs> like because he was obviously lost somebody or he was you know uh, not in the mood to to have the truth told to him that day but um i remember speaking to two young couples and all I would do, I got a little bit of a spiel going after speaking to quite a few people that day. And we had a flyer on one side. It had a big picture of the North Tower exploding, which is incontrovertibly an explosion. You can't see it anyway. That's not a building falling down. It's an ex- outward explosion like this. And um, and I showed that and I, and I explained my thoughts to uh, these two couples. And I wasn't trying to upset anybody or like to offend them. But I remember that, that the girls cried instantly like both times like no i mean twice in the day it wasn't every time i spoke to somebody um because there's no because they could see the truth on that picture and i just said well and they were saying what does this mean i said it means that we've been lied to that your media doesn't tell you the truth and the wars have been waged on lies and 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 this uh, it's very simple spiel that i came out with but it made i just remember the, the emotional impact of it because it's so that story is was um is is so sort of such an emotional investment and it was so visceral on the day and it was so uh, powerful like the whole generation wanted to go to war and uh, you know rip uh, some of the Laden's apart and they wanted to go to fight Saddam Hussein they used to write on the soldiers used to write on the missiles and on the helmets about Saddam Hussein they, they connected it with 9-11 and we, we think of it as weapons of mass destruction and a big lie but that wasn't the prevailing uh, perception of the forces that went out there yes the number of young Americans that must have been fired up by 9-11 to go, go, to go out to Afghanistan and Iraq to lose a limb or, or to get PTSD or whatever, it, large, large numbers of them, and for nothing, for a lie. What, yeah, what is some, your, some, um, I think some realise as well. I mean, I've got a friend who's... Karen. I've got a friend who's a, a British serviceman and, and, and he realised when he was out there and there's also a guy who's on YouTube called um, under the I'm never sure what, who to trust because if they're still on YouTube with big audience but there's a guy called Bright Insight um, who's on uh, uh, YouTube and he talks about where Atlantis is and he talks about various different things he explores the like Nikola Tesla he, he looks into the sort of um unofficial histories and the and, and questions the official histories of things but he's made it known that it sort of he went out there for the same reasons i think i think he joined up i don't know if it's exactly because of 9-11 but he's he came to the realization that he'd been out there for a, a, a fighting on the basis of a lie so yeah yeah i was going to ask you um what what was your best 9-11 meme <laughs> there's, there's um Oh, there's, there's so many of them um, off the top of my head. I never remember anything. Let, let me think. One of them was um, some people wouldn't know tyranny if it blew up three skyscrapers live on television 
And then I modified that when the virus came out and put some, some people wouldn't know tyranny if it locked them in their homes, censored them, forced medicated them, masked them, or, and, and, and various list of things. And that was shared all over the place. That, that other one, I just modified it for the new I like that. PSYOP. Yeah. Yes, it's funny, isn't it? Because it, it, it's clear that, that they, with a capital T, intended the internet and technology to be our our prison um but we've been using their their weapon against them i mean it seems yeah. it seems to me that we're winning the the meme wars you can, i think i think in the concept yeah but i don't know how many people look at memes but in, if there was if it was only down to memes i think we'd already be victors um but yeah but, <laughs> we, we would be the new illuminati wouldn't we 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 we'd, yeah. we'd be the new the new boss in town that's right. I mean, the, the, yeah. I don't think I don't think Boris Johnson and Klaus Schwab are much good at memeing. I've got to say, so yeah. No, no, no. I think I think we've I got think that we've, we've way to go before we. Um, um now yeah. I I've actually cited your work, um, because you was it a Substack you wrote where you did yeah, some was, yeah. I'm segueing on to the subject now of uh, neatly into the subject of of um controlled opposition gatekeepers the 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 infiltrators that 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 purport to be on our side but aren't really and you were very good at calling out one of the one of the groups that emerged during lockdown supposedly as our, our freedom defenders but actually what would you call them controlled opposition Together, I'm talking about. Yeah, I mean, it's all right being together. I mean, I think but one of the things that that word itself, like when I was in Oxford uh, during uh, lockdown, I used to walk around a lot. And there was a big, in Jericho in Oxford, um, which is near the town, there was a big billboard up saying, we're in this together. And I didn't know if that had appeared for lockdown or what it was for really but i don't know if it was a political thing i think i think it was i know that david cameron used to have that you know uh, something about a big society but the the very uh, the name itself is kind of redolent of some of these you know communitarian policies and it's all right being together if you're if you're all uh fighting in the right direction and going for the same cause but it's not all right being together if you're ignoring the biggest issues of the day which were the the vaccines and the what we're calling the great reset and and so if you don't address those things, then then whether it's wittingly or unwittingly, that there's a problem. Now they argue they argue um, that this is because they want to have a broad church. But again, if you you've got broad church and they're not fighting the issues of the day that are like the encroaching tyranny and the fact that they're all going to get poisoned by this injection, that's a problem to me. So and I'm wondering why that is and why you can't even approach it in the way that I try and do, which is as diplomatically as possible and as gently as possible, where you 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 um provide the 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 the, the scientific information or the or the the common sense information or as abby roberts always says you don't even need to do any of that just the ethical information that you can't force medicate people it's against the nuremberg code it's against like the unesco you know declaration of human rights it's very simple now why can't we address that if we if we if we truly fight for freedom and and it also seems to sort of subsume all that mass that massive uh um, movement of people that passed through London repeatedly suddenly became absorbed by the, the this 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 organization now I, I've written the articles and I've, I've made my uh, senses clear or my or what would I say my misgivings clear but I've left the, the uh, conclusions open to the reader because I can't say definitively one way or the other 
And I think that's the best way to do it. Like I, I have concerns about that because I, the, from 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 the beginning, the problem was not that we, you know, the wasn't it, poli- it, it was, it, it was more than these minor policies. It was the fact that, that we, they were trying to, in my opinion, kill people with vaccines or kill people with lockdowns. And if you're not addressing that and, and the fact that our whole way of life is, is, is undergoing a change that we are being forced into and they call it nudging, you know, like this nudge theory, which is nudging, nudging, nudging is what you do like a wife does to a husband when they say the wrong thing at dinner table or something. It's propaganda. It's lies. It's yeah. deception to force people pull into it. And, and they don't have a nudge unit. They have a propaganda unit, right? So if we're not addressing why there is a propaganda unit, force trying to modify our behavior into a certain pattern, then we're not addressing the issue. Yeah. Yes. Well, this is what one of the the issues that that um, some people on our side of the argument get very upset about. They say, why why are you calling out everyone as as controlled opposition? Why why can't we all just get along? Why can't I mean, for example, there's um there's Miri Miri Finch who who said who who coined this phrase, if you know the name, they're in the game. And I mean even today I on on, on Twitter somebody was having a go at me saying, look, that's a that's a council of despair. You know, how, how are we ever going to break out of the matrix if if anyone who emerges as a as a figurehead gets shot down as a as a, as a, a Judas goat? Um, how would you? How would you? I mean, I've got my own views on this, but how would you answer that? Well, I, I I've got this. Um, okay, firstly, let's let's address the question that we've been asked here. Like, is there controlled opposition? Now, if you're on our side of the fence, you probably would answer that in the affirmative. Like, we think there is controlled opposition. So, if we agree on that, all we're arguing about now is where the line is. That we're just discussing that. That's the only problem we've got. Like, you think it's here. So, when it started, oh, Boris Johnson, he he's not he's not going to lock us down unless there's no reason because he's a libertarian. Okay, so. He locked us down three times. So for me, the line goes underneath Boris Johnson, right? So then it's like, okay, so if they've, if, if Klaus Schwab is telling you that they've penetrated cabinets, I would take that seriously. So they've penetrated cabinets. That means that, so we can look at Trudeau is, is a world economic forum person, um, Macron, uh, Jacinda Ardern, um, Boris Johnson comes from a, a sort of a family who espouses eugenicist views like his dad and, and himself. He, yeah. he, he talks about depopulation. And for the Rockefellers. So we, the la- yeah, yeah. So we start to get the line comes down lower. Then, no, then you look at your media. None of them told you the truth. None of them, right? None of them about what was going on. And if those people who tried to tell the truth, like Bob Moran, oh, he got a sack. So there you go. So the line comes down below them, right? So as you go through it, you start to, to realize that, 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 that basically all at it. Now, and you could say that some of them are, um, unwitting which may be the case or they're just doing what they're told they're following the party line to keep their job and so on but but that's you that's your starting point but the, the key thing that i would come to in there is that if you don't like the fact that that's um uh you know uh, criticizes people that you have an emotional attachment to that's tough because the thing about the truth is it is divisive it divides things between things that are true and things that are not true 
and 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 we have to accept that. So if there are people there who are not telling us the truth, like for example, and the other thing is that if we if we, we again if we agree that it's controlled opposition and we we agree that we that these massive institutions didn't tell us the truth, and if they control politicians and these major players. Do you then not think it is likely that they could control a professor like Jordan Peterson or an actor or a miscreant individual like Russell Brand or a it's not beyond. Listen, in 2020, it was in the national press eventually that, that this occurred, that major budgets were given to 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 pay influencers to to push the vaccines and to push the lockdowns. That's documented. You can look that up in the mainstream media now. And not only that, some of the influencers on the lowest level, the lowest tier of Instagram of, uh, of, of, of content pr producers would come out and say, I have been offered a thousand pounds to push the vaccine, but I am not going to do it. So these reports were everywhere at the time. So if, if you think that then these higher profile people who appear on your mainstream media, the media has an absolute control of the narrative. If you can't see that after 9-11, if you can't see that after the vaccines, if you can't see that after lockdowns, the, the the only people who the only people who appear and the only news stories that appear in the media are are, are there because they serve the agenda and and that's the way it works and, and so basically almost all of them are a problem and at the moment we've got Joey Barton speaking out and and, and I'm looking at him and hoping he's genuine but in some ways because he's addressing a, a, a um, the issue of um, women in men's sports which I think leads to men in women's sports because they're trying to homogenize it all um but you never know even with him I'm looking at that thinking how much is this is a play because most of it is theater they control everything yeah it's an interesting one Joey, Joey Barton I I I barely heard of him because I don't I don't really follow kicky ball uh, I mean, it's all. It's, uh, yeah. I'm happy I don't now because I realise it's all part of the bread and circuses. Um, and actually, quite interestingly, I don't. I don't really think this is interesting. I've got my doubts. Uh, this, this is a, this is a, a digression. I have my serious doubts about about David Icke. Um, <laughs> watch this space. I'm gonna I'm gonna express them more in in, in future essays. I, I mean, he's essentially new age. He's he's pushing the new age. Luciferian agenda, which which is basically the same agenda as as, as the Illuminati, um, and I was chatting to him be before we sort of fell out about football, and I and I was quoting back something I'd heard from Alan Watt, who I think was a was you know definitely one of us, and Alan Watt did a wonderful podcast once where he talked about the history of, of football um, that in the 19th century it was a sort of thing you, you played in your local park or whatever and, and, and then it then it became professional professionalized and the it was heavily con controlled by Freemasonry and that the reason that they have Man City, Man United, Liverpool, Everton, Birmingham City, Villa. Every town has at least two major major teams. More in the case of London, and the reason is it's they're all they're all heavily controlled by by Freemasonry, and and it's all about divide and rule and about bread and circuses. And I mentioned this to to Ike, who after all is a former footballer. And instead of going, yeah, yeah, you're right, mate. This is this is all. He looked at me like I'd sort of walked on his grave. 
Um, and I thought that that's a weird response. And he, he kind of denied that this was so, which again was, 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 I, I thought of a, a bit of a tell anyway. Um, Joey Barton, Joey Barton, um, is, is talking sense at the moment, but then Elon Musk talks sense occasionally. Um, and of course, Russell Brand occasionally talks, talks sense. I don't think talking sense on certain issues is is quite enough, is it? No, and, and also you've got to bear in mind that almost all these people who come from the mainstream who are on our side of the fence are, are easily discredited in some way. So Joey Barton's been in prison. He's got he's, he's got this reputation as a thug, putting a cigar out in a teammate's face and stuff like this. Um, so if you want a, the best representative for our, our side you wouldn't pick Joey Barton. He's a, a guy who could be easily discredited as Russell Brand is a guy who's easily discredited because of his previous transgressions. So you just got to be watchful. No, and wonder yeah, because I mean, you'd are... pick somebody, you'd want somebody like Gary Lineker, who is, who is good looking, clean, no, no, no past, no history, no, nothing dodgy about him. Eminently trustworthy. He's the guy you'd want. Um, well, I wouldn't want Gary Lineker. But that's all I'm going to say about that. He sold crisps, <laughs> Francis. He advertised yeah. potato crisps. He's a cuddly guy. Hey, you know, you anyway, were talking about we can, football we can, there. We can disagree. The, the, yeah. The, the, you were talking about football there. There's a few things about football. Um, the, there's some weird things about So recently, Ma- Manchester United have, have, have put out a video for the coming season. I think it's for a new kit. And Roy Keane, did the, who's a football, famous footballer, um, did, did the um, voiceover for it. And it was about signing a deal with the devil. Now, Manchester United go under the nickname of the Red Devils. But in the in the clip, in the little Twitter video, whatever they put out, there's a contract there and he puts his hand on it. It's upside down. So I screenshot it and took it right around it. And it's like a deal with the devils. It's not a deal with the Red Devils. And it, the whole thing is about, and they've replaced the club, club crest, which you know, used to have a, I think, a ship and a football and different things on it, the name of Manchester United, with just the devil on the shirt. And the whole thing was like a very dark, and it's about, you're making a deal with the devil, you signed a pact and you did it before you were born. And it has like a, at the end, it has a baby, like with the, the sound of the heartbeat in the mother's womb. You, it happened before you were born and how much are you willing to pay for it? And, um, and, and there's this kind of thing. And then the more you look into it, you know, like, for example, the Sky TV has these big posters and it literally says on it, bread and circuses. And it's got Erling Haaland holding footballs in both, spinning footballs in both fingers. I think they tell us a lot about what is actually going on. They just said bread and circus or something. No, not bread and circuses. Oh, it says the greatest show on earth is what it says. Obviously, that's my interpretation of it. It's like bread and circuses. And there's also very weird things about the Freemasonic uh, going through. So, for example, Manchester United, there was a famous... Uh, People are going to hate me for saying this, but um, there was a famous uh, plane crash where the Manchester United players, the Busby Bays, died um, on the 6th of February, which was the anniversary of the Queen's accession to the throne. And they did three takeoff attempts and there was snow on the wings. And um, at the third one, they crashed. And it was at 3.03, which is like the numbers and things like this. So, um, And and the, the, the airline was a, a crown corporation, uh, things like this. So there's... But 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 even if you even if all that's mumbo jumbo and nonsense, right? That the, there is no, definitely no, no, something going on that. where football is used now to put in. I, I know it's all true what I just said, but you have to interpret it yeah. through your own paradigm. Like I can't make it. I'm not going to state the case on that, right? Francis, so, but then Francis, even if look, you disregard, I, I'm, all that, I'm, I'm not. Yeah, I'm not confirming or denying what you said because this, this is new on me. But look, we do know that they like significant dates. 
they do like making sacrifices to their dark overlord and and it happens it's not it, it, yeah I, I mean we, we haven't even got on to princess diana yet and 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 the the significance <laughs> of the of, of the the underground of, of the tunnel uh with the Mer- merovingian blood sacrifices and, and and all that but it's certainly not beyond the realms of possibility that the busby babes were were a sacrifice of some kind and then they were knighted just after that you know there was like matt busby was knighted just after that and so and I, i'm suspicious everybody's knighted but um yeah I, I don't know what happened i don't know if it's yeah. connected but what i can tell you for sure what we can see with our own eyes is that is that football is now being used as a way of um, obviously stupefying the masses to get them watching it all the time. Almost every night there's football on. Um, but also it, it's used like uh, the NFL, the American football is used now to promote agendas. So they they have them wearing the rainbow armbands instead of a captain's armband that used to be black. It's now a rainbow and they do the kneeling for the Black Lives Matter. So it's used as an um, a way of pushing agendas through. I've got a story for you about Princess Diana Crash, if you want. Oh, tell me. You, you didn't this is, do it, did you? People never believe this story, but I've got, I was, I was, um, interrailing around Europe. So I'd been around, we'd had a month and we were coming back and we were coming back through Paris and we we're going to fly out through Paris. And we'd just been to a pizza hut and, up, and we were starving and we'd all eat, ordered these big pizzas, like 12 inch pizzas and eaten one each. And the chefs had come out to see who these boys were, could put away a 12 inch pizza each and whatever. And so then we were walking back and I drank water and the other guys had drank beer. And so I, my tummy was funny because I wasn't, for some reason, at the ice or whatever upset me so i was just wanting to get home and we had to catch the last metro back because we were at our, um, our uh, youth hostel or whatever was a bit out of paris and we were walking back across the pont d'alma which is the bridge where and then all we could hear were the car horns these car horns going for ages and ages and ages and we we're like there's been a crash underneath and it was a motorway slip road underneath and my mate was saying come on let's go and have a look and so to go and have a look we would have had to run down a motorway slip road and then turn back and run under the bridge and we were trying to catch the last metro so I wasn't feeling too good. My stomach was feeling queasy for the, from the, I might have been the pizza actually, but it was certainly, I was, the, the water wasn't helping. And, um, we didn't go and have a look, but we were on the bridge when she crashed underneath and we didn't know, right? So then, so then we got to the railway station, um, the next, uh, day with our bags and we were going to dump our bags and have one last day in Paris and put them in a lockers, which you could still do at that time. You could put your bags in lockers. Um, and on the newspaper stands, it said, Le Mort de Lady Diana. So I said the death of Lady Diana. So it was like, well, what does that mean? Because we didn't know she died. So we were like, think, I was thinking, does that mean she's um, disgraced herself? She was going out with Dodi Al-Fayed. I didn't know what it was about. So anyway, we find out that she's died and we're like, oh yeah, okay, well, that's sad. Sad for her kids, whatever. And then we... Um, did our day in Paris. We got on the flight on the way back and then we were looking through all the, uh, you get the free papers on the new, on the flights at those times. You could Daily Mail, Daily Express and it have a map of what happened and where she was. And my, and my mate's going like, this is where we were last night. That's what happened. That was that, that crash. So we were there exactly the right time and all that. And we were, we were on the bridge when the crash actually happened. And he argues that he saw a, a, a car come out of the bridge I wasn't paying attention, but he was like, he was really interested in it for some reason. It's like he argues that uh, a car came out from under the bridge um, and sped off. And um, then I, I was home for a couple of days, like, uh, and we, 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 as I say, we hadn't been hypnotized by the television. So we weren't that bothered. It was just like another famous person has died. It's a bit, a bit sad for them and for the family. And, and then we saw this, everybody was out on the streets throwing bouquets into the path of the, the cars and the, the funeral cortege. And, and that was my first awareness of sort of like, this, or one of my first of this mad hypnosis that the television can do because I knew that we were 
uh, had the you know the same kind of outlook as most people, and we weren't bothered. Um, yeah, sorry, I was I was waiting for you to tell me that you'd gone. <laughs> I no, was hoping I you were going to tell me that you'd gone into the tunnel and you'd seen. No. <laughs> you'd seen things. It's, it's, it, it's like obviously knowing what we know now i would have been down there in a flash and like but we didn't have phone cameras either at that time yeah, and, you'd be, whatever. and you'd be dead francis they, they yeah, would have true. they would have they would have they wouldn't have let you go down there but the thing on. is we, we, we in europe when you go around europe for a month all you hear is car horns in the big cities because they were on the horns all the time so but this hot car horn was just continuous and we found out later i think it might have been the chauffeur had landed on it or his head was on it or something that he, so that it was held down could but it, it wasn't unusual to hear car horns so we didn't know what was going on in the tunnel we didn't know what happened but yeah i could have gone down and had a look mm. poor old Ulrich paul who's yeah. f- forever Known to history as a kind of drunk. Well, I don't, I don't think he was a, even a drunk. I think there's so many lies that are told. But it, but it's weird hearing myself talking this way because, like, five years ago, or even you know, I got married on the day, the the, the day that she died, or, or 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 was she killed in the small hours? I, I don't know. But all I know is that when I was sort of ringing around my guests for a sort of post-mortem, you know, hoping they'd say, you know, yeah, great wedding. Uh, they'd, they'd say, have you heard? Diana's dead. So it kind of, it kind of rained slightly on my, yeah. on, on, on my parade, on my, on the, on that warm glow I was feeling after getting married. Um, so, um, we were, yeah, we were talking before the, um, before we started recording on, which stuff you believe and which stuff you don't. We mentioned, I mentioned flat earth. Um, and the only reason I'm mentioning flat earth now is I, I don't want it to become a, a sort of obsession of mine, but I did a podcast with John Hamer, who has written books on the falsification of history and the falsification, falsification of science. And one of the many topics he's covered is, is, is flat earth. So we, so we, we gave flat earth a run around and what, interests me is the the bitterness and extremity of the outrage you get uh when you when you when you raise the flat earth topic which which surprises me because like for example in another week i I did a podcast with um richard richard d hall talking about how the Manchester arena bombing was, was, was fake. And the people have done lots of podcasts about nine 11 and stuff. Um, and you know, evolutionary theory being bunk. I don't understand why, um, believing that we've been lied to about the shape of the world is any worse than say, imagining that the American state contrive the destruction of of the twin towers or or that false flag operations regularly happen around the world to to blacken blacken islam and 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 cause dissent but actually these operations are carried out by the three-letter agencies why do you think it is that flat earth upsets people so much what why are they so wedded to the idea that we live on a globe well i think that part of the reason would be that you don't want to discredit 
all the other subjects. So if you've if you've got a solid scientific basis for saying that 9/11 occurred in the way that it did, or that the lockdowns were were you know uh, designed to kill people, or they were unjustified, or that the vaccinations are either dangerous all the way to being an instrument of depopulation. And if you can back that up, if you can back that up, then tackling a subject like flat earth to some people's mind undermines it because we associate it and we're conditioned to associate it with absolute raving. That's, that's your your classic case of the science denier is in, in, in conventional paradigm is that you say, Oh, these people, you like one of these people who think the earth is flat. And you, and maybe it's got that connotation yes, of being. Yes, oh, but Francis, you, you've put your finger on it. You've put, this is exactly what I'm talking about. That this is this is conditioning. This is flat Earth has been set up as this thing. You, you know, you you call somebody a flat earther in this in the same way you'd call them a tinfoil hat lunatic or a I don't know a a denial, a Holocaust denial. The, the, yeah, all these terms have been set out, created by our controllers, our dark overlords, as part of the PSYOP to, t- to tell us, you cannot go there. And it seems to me that anyone on our side of the argument has to be prepared for the possibility that everything they've been told about everything is wrong. There should be no topic that is off limits. And it seems to me that, that certain people on our sides of our argument have either elected themselves gatekeepers whereby they are they are the people who decide which you're allowed to believe and which you're not allowed to believe in or which is my my alternative which is the the, the one I, I find more credible that our side has been is is brimming with people who are actually working for the enemy and are are, are deliberately seeding flat earth as 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 an absolute no-no as as, as a, a but, I, I'm not expressing myself very well, but I, I find there's something dishonest, Let, intellectually dishonest about the people on our side who purport, who, who, who tell us that flat earth, you can't go there. It's wrong. It's there to discredit us. It seems to me, why? Who made that rule? What, why should it be any different from any of the other conspiracies that we know, we know are, are, are real? So let me... Um, if I can just pre- uh, preface my answer with the idea that I, I read um, recently, I go back and have a look at things. And one of the things I was looking at was uh, 1984 by, uh, by George Orwell. And in that book, um, at the end, Winston Smith gets to meet the the big boss. And uh, he, I'm just checking. Can you still hear me at the moment? Yeah, I can. Yeah. Okay, so he goes to he goes to meet the the big boss at the end of of nineteen eighty four, and um, he, I forget the name of the boss now. But Winston Smith is in this room, and he's been discovered. He's been discovered that he's not been behaving appropriately, and they're having an honest convers a frank conversation about the situation, and uh, and how it works. And he says something like, "Who do you think put the stars in the sky?" And and Winston Smith says, "They're millions of miles away," and so on. And 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 the boss says, "Well." They're not. They're just local. They're in a and, and uh, or some words to that effect. And and Winston Smith says, "Well, that's not that, that's not true. We can prove that." And he, and he, and the, the key line is is that the boss says, "Do you really think it's beyond us to create two mod two plausible models to explain the system? If we choose them to be close, they're close. If we choose them to be a million miles away, they're a million miles away." 
And I think that people have to just have a think about that um, and reflect on that. And also many people in our circles would recognize uh, without any argument that the moon landings were faked, okay? Now, you then have to question, why did they do that? Now, you can argue it was a financial reason, like people argue the vaccines and the lockdowns were about finance and that they were trying to, you know, they make money out of people's ill health and and NASA makes, I don't know what it was, it used to be some, some ridiculous figure, like 50 million a day used to be given to NASA. Um, so you could argue the financial argument, but you could also argue that the, one of the reasons for the moon landing was because it cemented in people's mind that that we saw the globe from space. That that could have been the whole purpose of it, and then and and then that puts us in a universe. So again, if you have these two different paradigms, and we just discuss the paradigms without attaching ourselves to either one at the moment, you have a flat Earth, and you have the universe, and we're so in the universe. In in the conventional view, we're this. We are specks of dust upon a specks of uh, upon a upon a speck of dust in an infinite. So our lives are completely meaningless purposeless you can be as nihilistic as you want there's just no purpose to life you're just spinning through the galaxies and and one day you'll be nothing you'll go back to being in dust and nobody cares about you your life has no purpose whatsoever no meaning and that's the end of you and the other one the other one flat earth flat earth means that you are one of the few select people in existence in the only realm in existence fight and everything you do is of import and that you are engaged in a in a maybe a given what we know in a struggle of good and evil and you are on the front lines and you happen to be physically incarnated in this realm and you're one of few of few soldiers who are on the ground at this moment and and that's complete everything you do matters now some people say to you oh francis that's a bit twee like oh you know that, that maybe why does it matter anymore if you're on a flat earth and you're going to die anyway and turn back to dust and they could argue to toss about that a little bit but certainly there's i think there's an uh, an element where if the universe is infinite you're less important than if you're in a finite realm and you're inside a dome and a flat earth did you see by the way just to interrupt you did you see the gene rosenberry interviews no oh okay on twitter just recently they um released excerpts from a an interview that Gene Roddenberry, the creator of Star Trek, gave clearly in his in his last last years. He looks quite old and doddery, mm-hmm. and he was singing the praises of Satan, and very matter of fact about it, saying that that he'd learned a lot from Satan, and 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 among the things that Satan had taught him was how to lie which was very effective in, in helping him to lie to his wife. And he, he was just like presenting de- the, the, the Satan as, 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 as a good thing. And this got me thinking, probably no TV series did more to imprint space, the notion of space and space travel and the public imagination as, as, as Star Trek. I mean, you know, it's the final frontier. We know all these phrases that have entered our, and so many of the technologies have have, have since become either real or or, or, or in, embedded in 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 science fiction. Um, and if the guy who created Star Trek was a Satanist, what does that say about the about the pro, about about what we believe about space? 
Well, I think also Star Wars would fall into that category, and people like George Lucas and Steven Spielberg, totally. um, and and then and then if you look at uh, popular culture some more, um, the Truman Show. What happens in the Truman Show is Jim Carrey discovers he's living in a world of fakery and eventually finds his way to the boundaries of his realm, um, which which where the water the ends, wall. where the ocean ends. There's like a wall. Um, there, I think if you if you go. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I mean, th- there's also weird anomalies, like, for example, the Antarctic Treaty. So you've got all these these um, competing nations who apparently go to world wars with each other or like fight in various ways. Maybe they've not gone to world wars since they signed the Antarctic Treaty, but there's certainly been conflicts, and uh, they've they all recognise that they're not going to dominate Antarctica, despite it being supposedly uh, mineral rich and resource rich, and that's never seemed to have stopped. Some like a nation like the United States wanting to uh, colonize anywhere or to conquer or wage wars of empire anywhere. So there are there are strange anomalies going on in that way. Um, yeah, it's a tricky one. Yeah, the Antarctic Treaty. Yeah, I don't know how far got you got of that, but um, I was just saying it's very unusual that the countries should all agree on something like that. Like and and to. Uh, to disregard this resource-rich this land when they seem to grab resources everywhere else and, and do it at the expense of millions of lives, if needs be. But there's something else I would like to throw in as well, in the sense that every, things that we can agree on, I think, in in, in our in, for your audience, most of them will be open to this, is that the idea that the moon landings were fake. And then then, then so since the last moon landings, you know, in the, I think it was 69, 70, 71, something like this, since the last moon landings, when they, they called the moon on a landline telephone and, and this kind of thing... Um, and they lost all the technology and so on. Since that time, they've yeah, never been out do. of yeah, just but as they, they've never been out of low Earth orbit. So I, I think, um, and and that sort of says something to me. Like, why can't they get out of there? Like, it's an interesting question. Why can't they get out? And, and not only do, that's not just me saying that. NASA act- actively um, invites suggestions from academics and school children and students as to how they can get out of low earth orbit and how they can get past what they call the Van Allen belts and how they can get through the radiation ship. And, and re- they acknowledge that they can't do it. Like they, they want to know how can they, um, you can see this on videos and you can see it on their website. They invite suggestions as to how they can uh, shield their spacecraft. And there's some people who suggest that the, the height of the um, low earth orbit is the same as the height of the dome. And that's the problem. Well, like in the Simpsons, Simpsons movie, when Springfield gets covered by, a, they, they, they tell us. I mean, we know that Matt, Matt Greening is a is a thirty third degree Freemason, which is why you get so many you, you get so many clues and predictions like Trump president in in the Simpsons. And I'm I'm sure that the, the Springfield Dome was a sort of simulacrum of of of, of the firmament. Um, yeah, quite possibly. I mean, I think I think if you mentioned there uh, Trump, but Trump is also the figure on whom. Do you know in Back to the Future films where I don't know if you're familiar with the 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 the, the I think it's a trilogy. Um, but they the, in the Back to the Future films, in one of them, an almanac of all the sporting events from modern times gets left in 1955. So it gets found by the bad character who's um, Biff, and Biff finds it and bets yeah. on all the sporting events, and he becomes very rich and very powerful and they modeled his character 
when he's the powerful and he becomes president because he's got all this money and wealth and, he, and they modeled his character on Donald Trump and that's acknowledged, right? And so, but not only that, the world in which Biff wins feels very much like the world in which we live now where everything is corrupted. Every, every um, institution, whether it's the local councils, the police, the media, and everything is dissolute and, and immoral. And, and again, like you say, there's... There is this programming, this conditioning or this kind of, or these hints or these illusions, however you want to perceive it. They put things in them, their media that where there's either an in joke or an output of the, the reality that they want us to engage with. Yeah. Which is, which is why I think, I think you and I are on the same page on this one. And. For me, it's a no-brainer that that what is happening in the world is not is not simply to do with the material world. That that it's a reflection of 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 what's happening on a supernatural level, and because these these coincidences are are not really coincidences, are they? They they are evidence of a well, I suppose what you might describe as a diabolical genius. That, that no man could no man could could create the world we live in that ultimately it's the devil pulling the strings isn't it and the devil is real well i think that at the very least right so at the very least we can recognize so there's a few things to say here. i'll just want to finish off one point from the flat earth and i'll come back to this one about the devil right oh, so please do when we were talking about because people would do have a problem with flat earth and it's very uh, emotive and it, like you say they kick off about it and say oh you're an idiot how can you believe that it's you know it's wrecking all your good work yeah. so if you, if you but it's worthy of consideration for this reason i would say when you when you look at the um what happened in march 2020 they told you there was a pandemic now you went outside and as i did and carried on and there was people working on construction sites still and nobody was dropping dead in the streets so it was none of these people dropping dead in the streets like they were supposedly happening in china so you couldn't see a pandemic anywhere. You couldn't see it anywhere. It didn't hit anybody. And, and, and there, was, there was no such thing as a pandemic in terms of your lived experience. There was only a pandemic if you turned on the screen, which is kind of why the Amish didn't have a pandemic, you know, because um, they don't have a TV and they didn't pay any attention to it. Um, yeah. So, so if you recognize that, then you start to think, well, and then people start to argue, oh, COVID's not real. And when you look at the evidence, there's very little evidence that COVID's real. And then when you go behind that, you think, well, there's actually very little evidence that viruses are a thing in terms of uh, an agent of transmission of disease, that they don't seem to do that either. That They're probably exosomes, which are your body expelling stuff. So they're there when there's something wrong with you, but they don't cause anything. They're not a causative agent of illness. So then you've got this whole paradigm which is a medical paradigm and the same things happens with vaccines. Oh, everyone's got to get the vaccines. And, and, and once you explore the paradigm, it just crumbles to dust in your hands as soon as you explore it. So people who, and this is actually without, with or without flat earth or with or without virology, this is a, a, a something that you'll experience. You, you might've done loads and loads of research on a subject and somebody has done nothing other than regurgitate the official line that they've never considered or even looked into or questioned ever. And they'll think their opinions of the same weight as yours, and and they'll and, and that's not to be arrogant. Like if you if you've got a child of four years old and they're telling you how to spell a word and it's not spelled that word, it's spelled that way, there is a possibility to be, that you've done more learning and you you'll have superior knowledge. And so, th th all opinions are not equal. So that's one thing. And I think and uh, but also the point I was trying to drive out there in relation to flat Earth is that 
given that so many of these paradigms are founded on so little and we believe them um, without examination, um, you know, that's the definition of ignorance, isn't it? To dismiss something without examination. So at the very least, given the other lies that we've been told, we should examine it. So then we come to your question about the devil. If you exam, if we, if we acknowledge that there's a force at work where they are prepared to and can lock us in our homes and can control the media and, and they do seem to put their storylines into the soap operas and into the movies and into the publishing houses, then it's an all pervasive force, right? Throughout the world. So then you think, okay, so they've got all that power already. They, they have these, what in Roald Dahl's book, The Witches, which I noticed recently on the, being played at the National Theatre, he, he, he's saying um, the magic money printing machine, they actually have one. It's the Federal Reserve or the Bank of England. They've got their magic money printing reserve, uh, printing machine. And if they have uh, that, they've got all the money they want. So then why are they using their money, like in Roald Dahl's book, to buy up all the shops and feed us poison, right? So, so you think, what is the overarching philosophy that would, like, you or I probably wouldn't do that. If we had all the money or the yachts or the villas, or we might get bored, you know, we might start climbing mountains or doing some expeditions just to, just to make life, you know, uh, risky again. But there's obviously the thing where you could say, like, if you had psychopaths in charge, they just want people out of the way. The same way we might want people out of the way if we're stuck in a traffic jam. You think, oh, why have we got all these people in the way? Like, what are they all going to? You know, and if you had the power to do something about it, you might want to depopulate. But you have to explore, is it anything more than that? Is there a philosophy? And when you do explore that, there are there is lots of evidence to suggest that they are part of a satanic cult. Right. And and there are books written about this, whether it's the Sabbatean Frankists and, and, and how they've infiltrated Freemasonry and the Catholic Church and, and and so on. And so then when you think about if that happens to be true and if these people worship the devil and they seem to know an awful lot more than us about the way the world works, because they use that knowledge to manipulate us and to play with our minds, with the psychology and with the. Uh, distortion which we now accept the distortion of the medical medical paradigm the distortion of um, every other paradigm that we can think of firstly why wouldn't they distort our paradigm of the flat earth and 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 why is the there's an answer to this question there is definitely an assault on christianity and religion and you could say that assault is is occurring because um christianity and religion have been a bulwark to the kind of communist um agendas or or if that's the right word, whether it's just, you know, the simple um, raising of standards to the floor, you know, like and the uh, eradication of wealth and the homogenization of, you know, the you will own nothing and be happy kind of thing. Religion's been a bulwark against that. And um, and every soul matters and, 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 and that kind of thing. It's been a... So you could say it's just really pragmatic and they're getting rid of Christianity from that, but it still doesn't explain a whole heap of satanic symbolism and the, and the sense and the evidence for these people being in that cult and if they do believe that then a conclusion you could draw is that if the satan if satan is real and that's what those people believe then there is the possibility that god is real and it becomes more um pro- kind of more prominent more more to the fore when when you when you look at it in that way yes yes or you could put it another way you could say you may not believe in god but the people who run the world do because that's why they consider him such a threat to their plans. It, 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 it does seem to be a no-brainer. 
when you mentioned before David Icke, so everybody, so if you think about what is happening here, so I'll, I'll give another context. Again, th- I try to start with things that people can agree with because, you know, again, religion and God is kind of one of those knee jerk things where people kick it out because, and that's part of our conditioning as well um, for the reasons I've just given. But if you listen to Yuval Noah Harari, who operates as kind of a high priest for the World Economic Forum, espousing their philosophies and theologies, if you listen to him, what he actually says, it goes like this. You can be as gods. You can have knowledge. Um, and we can create the world in our image. He basically gives um, the, the three promises of, this, of the snake in the Garden of Eden. And he's on video doing that. I can provide the link so I can show him doing it. So that's what he does this all the time. And like, we can be better than gods. We can, we can go further. He says things like, there's no more need for the God of the Bible. There's no more need for free will. They couldn't be more explicit about what they are doing in terms of throwing out at least the um, old Christian philosophies. But then you have to question, why are they so explicit? These guys are about progress and about science and they're about um, the, 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 you know, the, the advancement of humanity. Why are they always going on about God and about prominent and, and, and uh, competing with, with God and so on? And if you think about net zero, I heard recently Alex Williams speaking to, um, thinking slow fellow whose name I've just escaped me. Um, you, he's your friend, isn't he? What's his, what's his name? Alex. Um, thinking slow band. Alex. Alex yeah. Alex said he's noticed that net zero is the antithesis of Genesis in the Bible because Man is given dominion over the world, and yet in net zero, the environment is given dominion over man. And so everything mm. is inverted all the time. And and, and yeah. that's why when you listen to people like David Icke, the fact that he um he and he aligns himself with this view which is this gnostic view which which seems to um be a, 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 a taken over freemasonry or be part of freemasonry this gnostic view that we are living in a matrix a slave planet that we need to escape from it's not a beautiful creation with lovely babies and butterflies and ocean views and horizon sunsets and things like yeah. this it's this it's this dreadful place where everyone there's nothing but misery and there's no way out this is what David Icke's saying. And so whether he's wittingly or unwittingly aligning himself, I can't answer that question. But I can just say that, that um, it's not helpful to align yourself with the, the kind of worldview that they give, which is, as you've mentioned before, it's the council of despair, right? We are, we're not yeah. fighting to survive in a matrix. We're fighting to survive in a, in a paradise, an Eden paradise that has been taken over and, and, and um, we've been dislocated from. Uh, and and it's, it wouldn't take too much for us to turf our few of these monkeys out and we'd have it back. Francis, I, I, <laughs> I so agree with that point. It's such a good point. I think we should end on that one because uh, <laughs> I don't even know whether this is recorded or not. Um, because because of, the, of the technical glitches we've had, I don't know with my internet. But I but I'm thinking let's not let's not let's not take any okay. any, any risks. I, I we'll have you we'll have you back on the podcast because you, you you talk a lot of sense in in my view. Um and and thank you for for um yeah well thank you for the for the work you've done you know for 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 the um going out on the streets and and trying to confront hostile people and and, and swing them round. <laughs> No, thank you. I've learned a lot from your podcast, so um, it's been good. Yeah, I appreciate them as well. 
Well, it is. I mean, look, I tell you what, it is. It is completely a learning experience for me. I, I hate to use a, a cliche like learning experience, but I don't know everything. But I definitely know a bit more than I did three years ago, and my views are shifting all yeah. the time. I mean, you mentioned you you were you were down the nine eleven rabbit hole when when COVID, as we've been persuaded to call it, broke out. I was still at the phase where when when the Italian when people started dying on mass in Italian hospitals, I was thinking, "Oh, this is really serious. Maybe I should worry." Um, and there was a there was a there was a brief period for for, for about you know, before the hysteria. I was ahead of the hysteria. I was telling my family, "Look, you know, prepare for this this terrible pandemic we're going to have, and let's let's take precautions and stuff." It didn't take me long to get over it because I and I I, I, I can date it because I I I I was at the first anti lockdown. Um, rally in 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 the park and you know, almost got arrested so i didn't last long but but nevertheless you know that's how far i've come uh, and and the same i wasn't i wasn't as clear in my christian understanding of the world as i am now it's just, it just for me it's crystal clear now I, I don't have any doubts on that score um but yeah thank you for being a, the only, a fellow the only thing i would say about that on my journey the only thing i was The only thing I would say about that is I always mm, retain an open mind because if, if, if we were certain before lockdown of our views and most of us did think we were pretty certain, then to go to absolute certainty the other way without, um, there's always the possibility, but I mean, it's very difficult to see it any other way given what we've just experienced. Yeah, but Francis, we've really messed up big time if we've, uh, <laughs> if it turns out that... <laughs> <laughs> that that God isn't 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 as presented to us in the Bible, and that Jesus wasn't His only Son that He sent to die for our sins. We are in big shit because because like we've 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 backed the wrong team, haven't we? Basically, we've just got it all wrong. We've, yeah. we've fallen for yeah, that I mean, myth. I, and you do get people on our side saying this. They say, you know, religion—it's just like a, it's another cult. Yeah, I mean, it, it, I th I think uh, I think I just have I I I think I, I was brought up a Catholic, so it's very different for me to disentangle and I brought up with Christianity and the Bible and all that stuff. So it's very diff difficult for me to disentangle what I've been, um, you know, uh, what's been inculcated into me as opposed to what I actually think. But it just seems to be a framework that works for the world, and 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 also when you do live well as you're kind of instructed, things go right for you, and 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 that's as good as anything we can do we have to basically they do. my sense at the moment yeah my sense that, is that we just that have is to our secret i mean it's just have to take every day as a time like get, an alcoholic at the moment <laughs> yeah i'm with you there no I, I but you since you raise it i think that the 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 enemy the illuminati they've worked out this deal where if you make if you if you sacrifice children to the devil and if you do evil, you get kind of rewarded by the devil and his forces. But we we Christians have the same experience, but without without the sacrificing children and without doing bad things. You know, we we do daily pretty much experience the love of God. Which is which is kind of nice. Yeah. 
And those people who do the sacrifices or who seem to be um, brought into the cult, they seem some of them don't make it. Some of them get eaten from the inside. And you see, like, you know, these young people who, who commit suicide in the, in the, you know, in the music industry or the pop industry, or you see people who are dissolute or, or, or addicted or sometimes I think it eats them. I, I do think that I see, I watch them sometimes. I think, is that, did they get like that because they had to do that? I, just, I always wonder. You yeah. can't know for sure unless you know the individual. But anyway. Yeah. 27 is the cut-off year. Uh, anyway, Francis, Francis O'Neill, thank you very much for being on the Delling Pod. And if you've enjoyed this podcast, please um, sign up to my Substack. Is it, oh, that's a good place. Or, or, or locals. Those are, the, those are the two best ones, I think. Um, just the technology seems to be easier than the, the, the older, older platforms. Or, or buy me a coffee. But uh, yeah, Substack is, is good. Uh, and locals, you can find my essays there get early access to the podcast um anything you want to plug francis that, that you, you you've your Substack, for example yeah my Substack is something like francis o'neill Substack, whatever it is so yeah that, that'll do me and I'll, I'll, I'll put a link at the bottom um anyway i hope okay. to see you again soon francis and um keep painting nice pictures using fine brushwork and observation and perspective and Shading. Yeah. Adding beauty to the world. That's what we're doing. Take care. Yeah. Thank you. Exactly.